Welcome everyone, we are here at King of Pro Wrestling, it has been a while since Paul and I were talking to one another about New Japan Pro Wrestling, there's been a lot of stuff going on, we dropped some interviews, we uh, had all the all-in coverage, the StarCast stuff, um, so we have unfortunately, but admittedly, neglected a little bit of the, the destruction stuff. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it was intentional. There was just a lot going on, and, and I was sick when we were supposed to record, and, you know, kids and babies and everything made this a little complicated, but here we are. Yes, indeed. We, we've we made it through the other side, and now we're ready to talk about destruction. Uh, Paul, how's everything? How you doing? I know you're still a little under the weather, right? Yeah, I'm just not very good luck. I got sick twice in a week's man, but, you know, you have this. With uh, little kids, too, and I work in a school. It's like working in a Petri dish, and uh, just (laughs) bad luck, I guess. I got caught, because I was sick last weekend, and then I was sick yesterday and today, but I'm feeling a little better, so. Yeah, but being sick hasn't kept you away from the store, right? You you got a couple new pickups you wanted to mention, didn't you? What was that? I'm sorry, I missed the... I I was just saying, you've got a couple of new pickups you wanted to mention, right? What, my cards? Well, your cards and the books. Oh yeah, yeah okay. Well, I you know I think part of this is the fact that I've been homesick, so I have nothing else to do but to look online and spend my wife's money. So, uh, well, first of all, the books on the book front, I did pick up a bunch of stuff. Now at Starcast, I picked up the uh, Nitro book, which yeah. I haven't delved into yet, and uh, Jr.'s book Slobberknocker, which I wanted to always read. But then this week, I went. I actually felt okay the other day, and I ran out to the bookstore, and there was two books there that I actually wanted to read, so I grabbed them both. I got uh, Nakamura's biography. Nice. And I got um, the Death of the Territory books, or a book that just came out. So I'm going to delve into that first. And yeah. then uh, I also bought a bunch of Phil Singer cards over the last week and a half. So Big shout out to I've, Phil Singer games. Yeah, me and my son have been playing the game and enjoying the hell out of it. So awesome. we, we are expanding our federation by leaps and bounds. I we love it, up, I love it. We picked up all almost all the Evolve sets, and we picked up a bunch of Ring of Honor stuff. So we're just continuing to grow our collection. So yeah, yeah, and and if any of our listeners are interested, they should absolutely go to philsingergames dot com and check out the sets. Uh, they've got wrestlers like Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, um, AJ Styles, Brian Danielson. I mean, it's 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 pretty deep. The roster, Zack Saber Junior. Um, the the UK set that they just released released is awesome. It's got yeah, I Pete picked Dunn that up. That was great. Yeah, I love that set. And um, there's an online component as well, so if you're not necessarily into the cards and dice, they've got an online version, which is uh, just as much fun, and, and really kind of the one that I play the most these days. Um, so big shout-out to them. Uh, we've been talking with Todd Gershel, who uh, you know kind of is over at Fed headquarters, you know, holding the fort down for Tom Filsinger and crew, and um, we might have some cool projects coming up with him as well, but yeah, always want to make sure we give them a shout-out because they helped us out big time uh, with StarCast and, you know, give us the, the giveaway items and everything. Um, on my end, uh, you know, I've been just exploring the world of uh, the territories, in particular Memphis, because uh, I've always been a big Memphis fan, and I have a pretty good working knowledge of the territory, but after we talked with Mark James, which will be dropping that interview sooner rather than later, um, who's got a new book out, the Jerry Lawler record book, which covers literally just, a, I, I mean, if there's anything left out, it was certainly not because he didn't research it, but it covers basically every match that Jerry Lawler has ever had. 
um, you know, from from his start in, in the territories all the way through up until like his most recent matches, still kind of in the territories. Uh, but he has a lot of great books, in particular about Memphis, and he, he has a few that are focused on the years, and they and they do a wonderful job of telling you the story, telling you about the angles, telling you about what was going on, and. For someone like me who's into Phil Singer games, it kind of goes hand in hand because it's a wonderful way to learn about booking and promoting and you know putting matches together, etc. But I picked up his um, Bill Dundee book, which he, he co-wrote uh, an autobiography with uh, superstar Bill Dundee and uh, stoked to uh, to crack that one open as well. Yeah, and, and Mark James is the nicest guy. Um, I was dying laughing because you had mentioned to him on Twitter that you wanted to get that book, and he just like big-timed us. He's like, oh, I just had lunch with Bill Dundee today. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you bastard. Oh, I know. But, it's um, awesome. No, and I, I picked up um, two of his books when we were out at StarCast, and um, the one was the Jim Crockett promotions record book from 80 to 89, and yeah. it actually spurred me on now. Like, my little pet project is I want I went back on the network, and it goes back to 81. Now my, my goal is to watch every episode of Jim Crockett Promotions. It's awesome. To relive awesome. The, the entirety of the NWA 80. So we'll see how that goes. I think I'm up to 83 myself, but I haven't been, like, intense about it. It's just been, it's, since they, they dropped it, like, I've watched a few episodes here and there, so. Yeah, it's real weird. Like, I'm watching when they started in, like, fall of 81 is when it picks up on the network. And I'm, like, real hot into this angle they got going with, with Outlaw Ron Bass. Oh, yeah, totally. The, the, but it's real funny because there's, like, Roddy Piper and Ole Anderson are, like, a team with Abdul the Butcher. And it's, it's yeah. bizarre. Like, Randy, like um, Roddy Piper's wearing these green and yellow plaid trunks. It's, it's, oh, it's yeah. just Jake the Snake Roberts looks like he's about 110 pounds. Has, uh, has Slaughter shown up yet? He just showed up. Okay, yeah, Sergeant Slaughter shows up. He's got a good run too. It's yeah, it's it's crazy stuff, man. It's 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 great though, and and it's there's this weird bittersweet quality to it because on one hand you're getting all these great angles and some of these you know short matches, but ultimately the big blow off matches were all arena shows, so they weren't really taped. So you're not yeah. getting that, that's uh, a lot thing. of that, unfortunately. And, and we actually had that. You'll hear it in the interview we had with Mark James. Wrestling did this like 180 at some point, mm-hmm. where now all every all the live events now are meant to drum up ratings for the TV shows. And in the Territory Days, it was the the exact opposite. TV show wasn't there to give you the angle, or to give you the payoff. It was there to drum up attendance so you had to go to the live events to see them. But since since it was a smaller territory, it might be a weekly territory. You might see them every Friday night at the Armory or every other week or whatever, so you had that option. But um, it is weird. I'm assuming, like like you said, you're getting into 83. It's got to get a little bit more satisfying when you get into that era because now you have, like, during 83, they would have been building up to Stark or to a Starcade. So now now you're getting to a point, like in 83, 84, where you're going to get the big blow-off matches are going to be on TV or pay-per-view. It's yeah, it's interesting to kind of compare and contrast some of the territories too, and, and Crockett being one of the big ones, and you compare it to Memphis, you know, and Mid South. Memphis and Mid South had a, a kind of unique way of doing TV because oftentimes it would be very similar. You'd get a lot of the angles, you'd get a lot of the you know the interviews and the promos, but they would also usually have like one big match per per card, and then they would also take footage from the arena shows, and so you'd get like clips of, of, of the big blow-off match. Like, there's a famous uh, cage match with, you know, Magnum and Mr. Wrestling 2 and um, Hacksaw Duggan and Butch Reed. And, and that cage match is actually available because they did tape it, but they only showed, like, clips of it yeah. uh, on the actual TV show. But, yeah, so so stuff like that. Memphis would do stuff like that. But then you had, like, Texas and WCW, uh, WCCW, World Class and the Von Erich stuff. And the cool thing about that is that they... 
because they were just so locked in to that that territory, to that Dallas area, in particular Dallas-Fort Worth area, they didn't really worry about promoting the shows as much, the live shows, so they would have big matches on their TV show, yeah. which was really cool. Because you could see, like, the Ric Flair, Kerry Von Erich cage match, you know, which helped to kind of spark the whole Freebirds Von Erich feud on their TV show, which was rare in, in that day and age. Yeah, I, I noticed, like, uh, like what you're saying with Mid-South, because one of the things I looked on WWE Network for, and they didn't air the whole match, but they had clips of, was when Magnum won the North American title from Mr. Wrestling 2. It was at a big event that wasn't necessarily televised, but they're like here with clips of the match, like mm-hmm. on their weekly show. So you, you got, you know, you don't get the whole thing, but you get a good enough that, um, show that you could see it. Well, the cool thing about that is the Mid South Blu ray uh, that WWE put out actually has, has the full yeah. match on there. Yeah, it was yeah. awesome. That's pretty cool. um, but anyway, well, that was uh, our, our little divert to the territories. Yeah, well, hey man, you know when you when you got a passion for professional wrestling, you don't really care where it's coming from, especially when the or, territories or have win. such a rich history. Yeah, exactly. When, um, but let's dive in. We've got some news and notes to cover. Uh, we're going to do things a little bit differently this episode. We've decided mainly because we're kind of playing catch up, but also because. There's no sense in us doing a two or three hour plus episode. So what we're going to do is we're actually going to skip over the undercard of the destruction cards. And we're just going to talk about the big matches. Now we'll probably give a couple of news and notes here related to some of those undercard matches. But the most of what we're going to do is to just focus on the main events and the big events coming out of it. Because let's face it, the undercard wasn't that great. Well, there is that. I, I don't. I don't want to shit on it. I mean, it's still quality wrestling, but there was nothing here that's like. If there's anything that would happen that that would move in a story forward, we'll mention it. But other than that, I mean, how many times can you see some of the same matches? Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. Um, so diving into news and notes, uh, New Japan just in general has really been amping things up as far as what they've been doing uh, on their website and on YouTube. Um, they've had uh, a few interviews recently, um, which the the first one we'll talk about here is this Bad Luck Fale interview, uh, which I really enjoyed. What did you think of it, Paul? Uh, I liked it. It wasn't what I expected it to be because when you said when I sat down to read it, I thought it was going to be a bunch of anger and hostility. But right? no, I, I thought it was a really well done interview. Me too. I thought it was interesting. A lot of what he had to say, in particular, about um, you know they really explored sort of the beginnings and the, the mentality uh, of the beginnings of the Bullet Club. And he said something about how they were anti-authoritarian, but they still were playing within. The, the structure, yeah, yeah, the system of New Japan, and that was kind of his big beef with with Kenny and the Young Bucks is that they're not, and and it's interesting too because the as you listen to the or not listen to but as you read the interview, the sense that you get is that you know the the BCOGs, the firing squad, if you will, their big beef is with Kenny Omega. It's not as much with the Bucks or with you know anyone else. It's that they specifically don't like Kenny Omega, um, which is interesting that you, you know. Kenny's getting this big target painted on him, which makes sense because he's the champ. Um, but it's not just because he has the belt, and that makes things that gives things a little bit more sizzle. You know, it's it's, yeah, it's like it's, it's like a, what you would have in Memphis, quite it's frankly. It's a crazy interview in that it's like somewhere like you don't know where the work ends and the shoot begins, kind of. Sure. Like the way they structure it. I mean, obviously, it's it is what it is. But like when he talks about not liking Kenny and the, they give the reasons why it would be plausible 
that that would be real. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yep. Like, he contrasts it with AJ, where he talks about how when AJ won the title, he called them all in the hall and basically said, it's not me who won the title, it's us, we're a team, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, Kenny never did that. Kenny's always been about himself and promoting him. And then with the Elite, they, they went on their own way and everything. So, like, it, it's great because it's a work, but it's done in a way that's believable. I agree. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's... Um, both of the interviews that we're going to talk about felt that way to me. Yes. And there's a certain casual quality to the conversation as well. Now, obviously, we're just reading it. We're not hearing it. But it, it felt very casual and very honest and very real. It doesn't feel like a wrestling promo. And no. it, it's easy to appreciate that. And I think that's something about New Japan that they do well in general. You know, the only time you're really going to get a promo is at the very end of a card when you've got, like, Naito or Okada or somebody out there in the ring. You know, the... Tanahashi, they'll kind of cut a promo, if you will. But anything that's backstage after the matches, anything like this um, that's that's not in the ring, basically, feels like a real-life sit-down interview, like something you're going to see on ESPN. Yeah, and, and, and the thing, too, and, well, I think it, it applies to both interviews, is from, from putting yourself in the character's perspective... Yes. You can see in both interviews both sides of the, of the story. Like, if you were to sit down and look at this as a work, I mean... Fale's character would have a reason to be pissed off. The the OG, the Bullet Club, the firing squad would have a reason to be pissed off. And then even with the second interview, you can contrast why Okada and Tanahashi, or I'm sorry, Omega and Tanahashi would be having this difference of opinion and what they, you know what I mean? It's believable on all fronts. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I, you know, and that's one of the things that just makes it um, fun, really. You know, you, you get the opportunity to... Uh, get inside their heads and then all of a sudden you know the dialogue that we're having not only with each other but in our own minds about the events that are taking place doesn't feel as one-sided it's not just about you know oh I love this guy I hope he kicks this guy's ass or you know oh, I hate this guy I want to see him get his ass kicked and that's certainly a part of it but I think that it gives you it it, it it raises the level of debate, as silly as that might sound, amongst professional wrestling fans and even amongst your own personal fandom and who you're going to gravitate towards because, you, you know, you're making a choice. You're not just getting somebody pushed up to you know to you that, and, and saying, hey, this is the good guy, hey, this is the bad guy, or this is the guy you cheer, this is the guy you boo. It's, la- it's more layered than that. Uh, and yeah. it, so it, it can't help but feel more real, more honest. No, I agree. I definitely agree. Um, So this is an interesting bit of news, um, and it kind of goes hand-in-hand with a couple of things we wanted to talk about, but um, there will be a pair of the young lions from the L.A. Dojo appearing in the Fighting Spirit Unleashed uh, dark match. Um, uh, Shibata has not chosen which two uh, young lions it will be uh, yet, but it'll be one of the four that he has been training there. And if you're not familiar with them yet you can find out more about what's been going on there on the YouTube documentary, which is also on New Japan World, uh, but I believe it drops first to YouTube and then it's uploaded to New Japan World, uh, California Dreamin', which um, I love. I, I, you know, seeing Shibata in the ring, seeing him working, seeing him smiling, seeing him, you know, really focused and passionate about what he's doing in spite of the fact that we know he can't wrestle, it, it, it is very gratifying for someone you know like myself I'm such a huge Shibata fan and um, there's just something about the guy that even before his injury I was so invested in him but afterwards it was like I was even more invested you know I was checking yeah. online you know on, on a daily basis trying to figure out what 
what his condition was. The, the whole thing, it's a great documentary. I mean, I don't know. I've saw the two parts. Is that, that's all that's out so far, correct? I believe Just, so, yes. Yeah. Um, there's a couple things. One, it's kind of bittersweet. I mean, it's, it's, I'm looking at it, and I get what you're saying, but I just look at Shabbat, I'm like, man, it kind of sucks when he's not wrestling. It really does. And then, like, when he talks about it, how he had to get away from Japan and everything because he couldn't be, like, he didn't want to be classified as the wounded guy and everything. The whole thing is kind of bittersweet, but uh, on a lighter note, and I told you before we were recording, it's great, but the narration <laughs> on this thing, and, and you said it best, it's like the, the narrator is almost like a horribly overdubbed movie. Right, you know, he's like so cool to me, Purse fans in in America. Like, yeah, it's so dramatic and overdone. It doesn't just detract from anything, and if anything, it adds to it in a weird way. Sure, but it is really cool. Um, I the things I liked the most about it wasn't even necessarily the training things; it was the interactions between the young lions and Shibata. Like, there was a one scene, and I don't, I think it's part one. I'm not, I can't remember where he's talking about the deck of cards. And how they use it for training. Yeah. And, like, the wrestler makes a joke. And, like, you can see Shibata let his guard down and laugh with them and make a joke back. Like, that yeah. little kind of stuff is... But you can definitely tell, like, they respect him. I guess you'd have to when the guy's walking around with the bamboo sword the whole time. You know? Yeah, right, right. He's got that kiddo stick. Yeah, it's... it's um, it, Well, that's the thing, too. I feel like he's able to um, train them in the way that he was trained... And yet, allow himself to be engaged in, in in the Western way as well, if you will. You know, the fact that you know these are these are American guys. You know, yeah. they're um, uh, they're North American wrestlers. They're not Japanese students of, of professional wrestling, if you will. And I think that any good teacher knows that you have to engage your student on the level that they're prepared to accept it. You can't force your own style upon them. You've got to figure out how to work with them. And I imagine even more so in, in, in a physical setting like this. And Shibata obviously is smart enough to understand that. And I think that when you do see those moments of vulnerability or those moments when they're kind of bonding, which there are, you know, uh, uh, some really great ones, like uh, when they're sitting down and eating the burgers in the first yeah. episode, you know, it's a great bonding moment. And, and to see that, to get that peek behind the curtain, which is something that we rarely, rarely get, uh, is really cool. And, and, and it, in my opinion, I get what you're saying about it being bittersweet, but it's, it's really raised my level of appreciation for Shibata to more than it was. Which I know, I, and I agree. Then the only problem is as soon as you're done watching it, you're like, man, I wish the guy could wrestle. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely and right. And he keeps talking about it like he doesn't, like the way he talks is like he almost doesn't believe that it's completely over. Right. He always talks with like this glimmer of hope that maybe, maybe he can come back. I did like the that they used Tanahashi in the documentary. And they yes. even showed like him coming out with him at the G one. They talked. They didn't show. They didn't really talk about what happened. I mean, I guess the extent was that Tanahashi mentioned that he left and I stayed. But then it showed the the hug that they had in the ring when he came back, like after he earned his respect back, yeah. stuff like that, without really delving into it. Um, the only thing I'm kind of mad about the whole situation is, and I get why they're doing it, but I wish it wasn't a dark match. I wish at least it was on New Japan World. I'd like to see the match. Yeah, I, get I agree why, with you. I get why, because it's basically, it's probably their first real match in front of a crowd. This way, yeah. they're not up to snuff or something goes wrong. But, like, I almost wish they would record it, and if the match comes okay, off okay, just throw it up on New Japan World. Yes, I completely agree. It'll be interesting to see how New Japan World handles this, because, they, you know, they're airing it live, which is great. Um, you know, we don't have to wait for access, but... Um, 
I wonder who the commentary team is going to be. Although it's Kevin uh, Kelly did, and Jim Ross, I believe. right? And they did. And Jim Ross did say that they were doing it live; that they weren't recording it after the fact. So he told I the staff face they, to face. He did, yeah, big time in um, there, guys. Yeah, right. Um, we had a, yeah, when we talked to Jim Ross personally, he said, "Yeah, he uh, <laughs> our no, close personal he, friend." He, he signed my book to my good pal. That's the episode. so. I mean, it's in writing. It's in. We're not making this shit up. <laughs> um, yeah. Which, by the way, I have to say, this is kind of going back real quick. Uh, I've read the book. I actually read it months ago, and uh, it's it's very very good. I think the thing you'll like the most about it is he focuses the bulk of the book on his days in the territories and WCW. There's very very little WWF stuff in there actually. Um, Does he, he talk about like about his mid south stuff? He, yeah, just, he goes yeah, he goes in deep about Mid South, and 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 he goes pretty deep about WCW as well, um, which is which is great. He talks a little bit about New Japan. Uh, actually, there's some stuff in there about the Tokyo Dome shows, and in particular the politics with the Fujinami Ric Flair match, which is fascinating. Yeah. So, um, I you know I, I heartily recommend the book to any wrestling fan, but even New Japan fans, check it out because there's there's definitely some New Japan stuff in there. Nice. Yeah. Um, now, in um, addition. Oh, oh, go ahead. Say, go, no, you go ahead, because I think I was going to change the subject, so you follow up on... Well, sure, I was just going to say, in addition to the uh, Shibata uh, California Dreaming documentary on YouTube, um, they've New Japan has started airing these English-language um, news shows, I guess you could call them. One is called The Wire, which basically, you know, much like an AP wire, for instance, is going to give you up-to-date news. Uh, it's all in English language. It's it's a great tool um, for staying up-to-date on what's going on, uh, you know, not necessarily behind the scenes, but, but leading up to the next matches. Uh, I, I've enjoyed that. The one that I've watched more, though, has actually been The Recount, which yeah. is um, a great sort of, you know, going back in time, telling you little pieces about uh, the story that one of them is on the Bullet Club, and it, it gives you this great primer from the very beginning. Um, you know, from the Apollo Fifty Five breakup between Taguchi and, and Prince Devitt, all the way through up until uh, the um, uh, uh, um, oh god damn it! What was the Cow Palace card called? I can't think of fighting, the name of it right fight, now. Uh, uh, fighting Style Unleashed. No, because Fighting Spirit Unleashed is the the, the next one. Um, I can't remember. Strong yeah. Style Evolved. It could be. It could be a I can't remember ball. the name of these shows from one to the next. I, it's, yeah. I We're just going to call it like the Cow the Palace show. Um, the Cow Palace show, the aftermath when, you know, the, 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 the uh, firing squad beat down the Bullet Club. So it's it's very exhaustive, and yet it doesn't overstay its welcome. Uh, it was about, like, 15 minutes or so. Yeah. Uh, so great stuff. Um, I enjoyed the hell out of them. And the funny thing was, when we talked over each other, I was about to say, speaking of YouTube, so we were completely on the same page as when to switch. Nice. Um, I'm with you. I like the wire. Um, the, top, the top five was kind of cool. It just, you know, gives you top five. Like, I think the one that's up there is what? Top five moments from the G1. There was mm-hmm. um, top five uh, New Japan moments in the United States. Stuff like that. But I, I'm with you. I think the, the most compelling one is the recount one. Yeah, because um, that's something we've been kind of clamoring that they needed to do for a while, and I think they even need to take it a step further eventually. And almost, I don't want to say copy the WWE, but you know, like a WWE has those collections on the network where everything oh, is sure. in one place. Like if they did like a history of the Bullet Club collection, so you can click on one thing and it all came up. You didn't have to go find it, stuff like that. But it's I, a, it's a good first step. It really is. 
Well, I have a feeling that that's coming because uh, New Japan Global also put out a tweet asking what fans wanted, and a lot of the responses were along the lines of that, you know, easier search functions, collections on the uh, on New Japan World, things like that. And I think that they're, they're definitely uh, working on stuff that'll be similar to that, if not exactly that, because they even replied with um, a lot of the stuff that you mentioned we're already working on. Uh, and I believe that because The Wire, you know, The, the Wire has been cool because um, they did a preview of Okada versus Tanahashi. Yeah. They, they, they did an English language version of uh, Hiromu giving up the belt. So for, that's the for best a lot- too. I know, right? You got Sugar um, Bear sitting there talking to the belt. <laughs> it's only two minutes and twenty seconds, but like, I want to know who in New Japan convinced him to do that. Like, okay, you know, we're gonna have you talk to a belt and just it's gonna answer you, and yeah, but you're just gonna have to roll with this. I can't help but wonder if it was Hiromu's suggestion of like, this is how I want to give up the belt, and they were just like, whatever you want. You know, yeah, but I, I, I still think like he, whoever he called in, is gonna be like, "Oh my god, I gotta call Sugar Bear and ask, tell me, ask me to do this." <laughs> um, yeah, I, but it, it, it's it's great stuff, and it's a wonderful uh, uh, way in, especially for fans who you know the the language might be a barrier. Um, you know, I know that Paul and I like we watched that Hiromu um, video in Japanese and you know, didn't understand it but it was subtitled uh, when it first came out but now there's the you know kind of an English language version which is great um, in addition to that more English language content on their website njpw1972.com is a Kenny Omega interview Paul this Kenny Omega interview was fucking great yeah it was it was out there um, like there's some takeaways like when he calls Tanahashi an old fucker Mm-hmm. Excuse my, my French, but I'm quoting him. I mean, he dropped the F-bomb about 20 times in this interview. Um, yeah. He's like, what did he say? He's an old fucker. He's got a movie. It's an embarrassment. Yeah. yeah. He's an asshole. He ought to yeah. go to WWE. He could be the next Roman Reigns. They weren't pulling any punches on this one. No. No, and the, this is it goes hand in hand with another thing that we wanted to mention in the news and notes about the war of uh, words between Kenny and, and Tanahashi. Um, it has been... Fascinating uh, for me, anyway, uh, to see the amping up of this and how yeah. much it—it's odd because Kenny is saying things. He's that acting are like inf- the heel. Yeah, Kenny's acting like a heel, which is amazing because he's one of their biggest baby faces right now, especially since the, the Golden Lovers got back together. I mean. Tanahashi saying some out there shit too. Like honestly, to say Kenny doesn't know how to put out a match, all you gotta do is watch the last five minutes. That's that's crazy too. Yeah, right. He I mean, tell the story. Dom- yeah, yeah, come on. The Dominion match is one of the greatest stories I've ever seen told. So, but, but then again, I mean, you got Kenny killing him unjustly too. So it works, but it does, and it feels to me like they have done the thing that. So it goes back to, and say whatever you want to say about WWE, WWF, say whatever you want to say about the two people I'm going to mention right now, but it goes back to, because I feel like this is relatable, Austin and The Rock. Those guys had a real issue with one another, and that real issue was, I'm better than you, no you're not, yes I am, I'm going to prove it. And with Tanahashi and Omega, we know enough to know that they have always had a difference of opinion and a point of view about professional wrestling. And now they're taking that and they're amping it up and they're creating this wonderful story around it. And it's working. And I know some people don't seem to like it. I I, I hesitate to say this because I don't want to talk down to anybody or anything. But to me, 
I think that just means that they don't get it. Yeah, I, I kind I know what you're saying. Um, yeah, I, I I understand how you're trying to say that carefully because you don't want to imply that somebody like that we're smarter than anybody else at wrestling or anything like that. I, I no. just some things hit the mark a little bit with certain people and some things miss, and that's this is just one of them. Um, I, I can get both sides of it. I can understand why some people might not like it that much, but to me, I like anything that kind of blurs the line a little bit. Yep. And it would be believable that there would be some animosity. I mean, you're talking about Kenny's, I say the younger guy, the young uppercomer. He's not really. He's 30-some years old. But his place at the upper level, he just won his first title. He's he's the one. I mean, and you got the ace, the legend, sitting there. He wants to knock him off. Yeah. You know, and especially with Tanahashi, Tanahashi having this resurgence, resurgence in the last couple months. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later because uh, it actually goes hand-in-hand hand with our classic match choice. Yeah. Um, another really cool piece of news, uh, Kenny Omega will be in New York for the Northeast Wrestling promotion, and he's going to be taking on Phoenix. Yeah, do you know you what, this is Paul, only like an hour and a half away from me? Oh, dude, you should go. I was just getting I, ready to say, really, if I could go. I'm really contemplating to throw Liam in a car because I think, if I'm not mistaken, oh. where is it, Poughkeepsie? Um, I'd have to double check. I, I believe so. I think um, it's in Poughkeepsie. That's not like that's like an hour and a half to not even two hours away from me. Yeah, because I saw an ECW show there back in like you know ninety nine or two thousand. I think uh, when I, I saw. Was up yeah, there. I saw a Pink Floyd tribute band there once. <laughs> that's awesome. I had a blast. But uh, no, yeah, I I definitely have to seriously consider going that. And I've gone to Northeast Wrestling shows before. The last time we went, I saw Cody versus uh, Donovan Dijak. Ricky Steamboat oh, nice. is the Ricky Steamboat was the guest referee. Hot damn! Yeah, yeah. it's at uh, Mid Hudson Civic Center on November the 9th, which is a Friday evening. Uh, it's the Northeast Wrestling 23rd anniversary show. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, seeing those two guys in the ring, I, I, I you've you've got Kenny Omega, who's obviously one of the best in the world, if not the best in the world. Um, you know, PWI 500 thinks he's number one. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got Phoenix. Everybody but Jim Cornette. Right. <laughs> and then you've got Ray Phoenix, who is, I mean, arguably one of the, like, just most entertaining performers to watch. I mean, the stuff that I've seen him do. And there is no one that can work the ropes like Ray Phoenix. I mean, some of the stuff that he does with the, the little hops and the jumps and the flips and et cetera, I mean, is just absolutely out of this world incredible. Um, but he can wrestle his ass off as well. And, and if you only know Phoenix from Lucha Underground, which he got a good spotlight shown on him, don't get me wrong, but if that's all you know him from, you owe it to yourself to go out there and watch some more of his stuff, whether it's PWG or AAW, where he's a former champion, uh, because, man, he's incredible. Uh, and this won't be the first time he's in the ring with Kenny Omega. They actually did have a match. Um, in PWG at, at Bola in 2017. Um, so I, I think that uh, it wasn't a one-on-one -on -one match, though. It was a six-man match with the Bucks against Pentagon, Phoenix, and Flamita. Um, but yeah, I if I could be there to see this match, I would... Yeah. I can also, I, I I can also if I go, I get to see uh, Jack Swagger versus Rob Van Dam. That's that's pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, that's, I just I just looked it up. <laughs> now um, I'm sold. Yeah, right. You gotta go now. Yeah. Uh, so this is actually something that you know we'll cover a little bit when we talk about the main event of the final night. Okay, of let me just preface this by saying I had to send you a text when yeah. I was watching this. Yeah. Um, I just I sent Sam a text, and I put, "Oh my God, 
did did Yoshihashi just pull a Titus? Because like when you're watching it, and obviously they edit it, they edit because it zooms in on Jay White for two seconds, and when it zooms out, Yoshihashi's in the ring, all busted apart. So like I said, I was watching with Liam. I'm like, what just happened? He's like, nothing. Why? I'm like, back this up. So when you back it up, you can tell when they zoom in, something's weird. But if you look at the crowd right behind, you can tell they're dying laughing. They watch Yoshihashi <laughs> run face first right into the ring. So yeah, apparently so he's messed up. Yeah, yeah. Here's the deal. The weird thing is, is I must have watched it soon enough after because I think I, I didn't watch it live, but I watched it pretty damn close. Um, and they hadn't edited it yet. So I, when I watched it, you see him running straight down, and then all of a sudden he just disappears. And and they didn't they didn't zoom in on Jay White, which is why I know I saw it before they they got the edit in. And 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 like nothing's happening. And even Jay White is kind of like you know, there's that moment where he's kind of pausing. But Yoshihashi, to his credit, gets up, gets in the ring, clearly on shaky legs. Like as soon as he gets in the ring, like he's he's already on shaky legs, blood pouring from his forehead. Uh, he, he but he but he does the run in. He, he completes the run in. He does the exchange with Jay White. He gets thrown out of the ring. Jay White, masterful heel that he is, goes out of the ring, grabs some of Yoshihashi's blood, rubs it on his face, gets back in the ring. Anyway, point is, is yeah, Yoshihashi apparently is pretty messed up for this to the point that he was in the hospital for like a full day. Um, uh, overnight being evaluated. He has gone home where he's going to continue treatment. No timetable on his return. Um, it's amazing. Yeah, so he... And you he, can tell, too, when it happened. When, when I say they zoom in, I don't want people to understand. They didn't, like, zoom in the camera on Jay White. They zoomed in the image to the point where you can tell because it's almost like a little pixelated. Like, yeah. if you zoomed in with a digital camcorder kind of a look. I'm like, what right? the hell? Yeah. If you haven't seen this, I can't even describe it because like when he hits the when he hits, I mean he's in the ring three four seconds later, he's covered in blood. He yeah. didn't nick himself; he gashed himself apart. And apparently yeah. he has what concussion like syndrome symptoms, and he had stitches and the whole works. Oh yeah, and I I mean I believe it, man. Um, he was like I said when he got back up initially, you could tell that he was not right. Um, but amazingly enough, you know, he carried he carried on and and it finished the the bit and it, it worked out perfectly. Uh, but we we certainly hope that he has a, a quick recovery. Um, and one of the things too that we didn't really mention in the War of Words is that Tanahashi and kind of the lead up to his matches, um, not only with Omega but also with Okada, has basically been. It's almost like he's looking for a guy to be his protege because, you know, he's told Kota Ibushi to dump Omega and get with him and he can help make him a star. He said that Yoshihashi should come with Tanahashi because he can make him a star in a way that Okada yeah. never did. And like, you know, so it's interesting he's the a dynamic poacher. there. He- <laughs> he's a poacher. Um, oh, speaking of before I forget, too, kudos to New Japan. Did you read about Yoshihashi's injury on their website? Yeah. Oh, Because they credit him. it to Jay White. Yes. They don't yeah. say, like, they don't even mention the accident, like, it's an accident or something happened. They're like, he's out of action and it was in the hospital due to the the, the attack by Jay White. God love yeah. it. They tried, they're trying real hard to sell that. 
Um, yeah, I, I, I thought that that was good. And it was really, you know, it was kind of cool the way that the, the fans that were commenting on the thread were, were, were playing along, you know. You, like, one of them even mentioned, it's like, oh, sure, it was Jay White, dot, dot, dot. And they were like, but in all seriousness, you know, it, everybody was playing along with the angle while also wishing Yoshihashi the best. So uh, hopefully he does have a speedy recovery because I feel like he built a little bit momentum out of, out of the G1 um, and looked good in those tag matches. Uh, but speaking of which... Like, I gotta be completely honest. We love New Japan Pro Wrestling. We wouldn't be doing this podcast if we didn't. I gotta say that the undercard for the Road 2 shows, which I didn't even watch all of, I will admit, and the undercard for these Destruction shows, was kind of just there. Yeah. Uh, honestly, yeah. I don't know. Like, I, and we'll touch on this a little bit because it was one of the main events. Everybody, if anybody listens to this podcast knows, my favorite wrestler in New Japan is Naito. Yes. And I'm a huge LIJ fan. But I don't want to sit through more LIJ versus Suzuki going. And, like, when you watch these, like, you have four-man tags, and th- or, I'm sorry, eight-man tags and six-man tags, and, like, even, like, the night, like, uh, I forget, it was the f- second Destruction show, I'm thinking, what was that, Beppo? Is that the, yeah. that was the one where Tai Chi and Goto wrestled. Correct, yeah. Like, did you care at all about the main event, Naito and Suzuki? And we love Naito and Suzuki. I didn't, yeah, I didn't care. I thought, you know, in some ways it's weird, because some people I know didn't like the match at all, but in some ways I thought it was better than their Intercontinental title match. It, I have no problem with the match itself. It's just like it main evented one of these cards, and it felt yeah. like there was no real stakes to it. Well, you know, here's the thing. I, I hesitate to say this because I, I think the long game is going to give us something interesting, but right now I do feel like the whole LIJ Suzuki Gun feud feels very arbitrary like it feels to me like I thought we were done with this but now it seems like it's back and I just feel like I feel like almost everyone involved has better things to do well yeah but I think the problem is everyone involved anybody that could really do something with might be engaged in another angle somewhere it's it's almost to me like and I could be wrong I mean who am I to argue with Gato the guy forgot more about wrestling booking than I will ever know but doesn't it almost feel like we have these people and nothing for them to do so let's just kind of continue this for a while Yep. Yeah, it's exactly what it feels like to me. And and again, you know, I like all of the guys involved, and I think that there's been some good stuff. I mean, but it's it's weird, because it, I, a guy like Bushi, for instance, is a great example. You know, Bushi's in this LIJ versus Suzuki-Goon feud. Then he gets this, this semifinal match for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship with Kushida. The match is good. In some ways, it's really good. But it also felt like... It just felt like Bushi was just kind of there, yeah. and that's kind of how I feel about the Suzuki Goon Lij stuff. It just feels like it's there. Well, I um, said right when they announced the four people that were going to be in this tournament, I didn't want to shit on Bushi because obviously like Lij, but it felt like Bushi was a little misplaced being there. I know they went with the last four champs, right? But like it would have been much more compelling to me instead of Bushi. We got Ichimori in there. I agree. But because and the way the match looked up, it was like as soon as you saw the matches, nothing against Bushi, really. Like, okay, Kashida's in the final, most probably against Osprey. Like I almost just wish they would have just made that match then, if that's what they were gonna do. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I, you know, honestly, I think at this point, Will Osprey's gonna win. I, I, I think he's gonna be the next champ. Um, you, you know, I, I don't know how long he's gonna have it. Um, I could be wrong because they could want to go with Osprey Ibushi at. Wrestle Kingdom, and they might not want Osprey to be the champ going into that match. Although, 
who knows? I mean, I doubt that they would have that be a title match, and I can I, I seriously have my doubts about a non-title match at yeah. I can't see Wrestle a non-title Kingdom. match. I, so, I personally so maybe that, point, I'd put maybe the that, belt on. I would either put the belt on Marty. I would put it on Marty to Wrestle Kingdom and have him have him have a match against Kushida, and have him lose the title there. He's going to have to because I have a feeling that Marty's not going to be around much past January. Yeah, I have a feeling too. Or what I what you could do here is you could put the belt on Kushida and get to a match with Kushida and Ishimori at Wrestle Kingdom, maybe. I, yeah, that, I, 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 that would be a damn good match, and I think that that would be a good, both, a good way to go. We're, I mean, we're we're sizing this up with the uh, the kind of the thought process that Osprey is going to be in another angle, right? Because the more and more it looks like it's going to be Ibushi and Osprey, right? So. You know, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time trying to figure out what's going to happen at Wrestle Kingdom. We'll no, no, day. neither do I. Neither do I. Um, so, um, kind of going off of that, some of the undercard, I guess it's worth just briefly touching on, is Toa Hanare gets, you know, oh. squashed again. I, at this point, like, i got to be honest with you, I was never a big Hanare guy anyway, and, and, and now I care even less about him than I did before. Yeah, and I, I always preface this. Like, I don't want to bash anybody, all right? Like, I'm sure the guy's a quality wrestler. He went through the dojo system. Like, I don't want to sit there and shit on anybody because I don't like to do that. But yeah. it's awful. It's just awful. And it's not even, like, his fault, though, what they keep doing to him. Like, the only if, if you were to ask me, well, how do you save Hanari at this point, uh, the only thing I could come up with, and maybe because cause he's from where he's from and everything, New Zealand and everything, I would put him in the firing squad. I would just have him like have this angle with Fale. Eventually, he does something to Fale, and they bring because they're they seem to be recruiting. You could bring him in, turn him heel, and put him with that. He seems like more of a natural fit. Yeah, I'm not saying that's what you do, but what else can you do with this guy? I know, I, I completely agree, and you know, and that could be where they're going. The, the idea that you know he's getting beat down by Fale it could be like a test. You know, it could be this this idea and, that it's and like they how have- many- you have the story too that didn't he come through Fale's dojo? Yeah. I mean, they make that a point of telling you this every time they fight. Like, eventually he wins over Fale's respect enough that they bring him in. Because I'd right. much rather see him come out, like, instead of that stupid ensemble he wears, now he even has the feather. And I don't want to say stupid because I know it's, it's goes with his heritage and everything. It just looks weird. Like, I'd rather him just come out with a firing squad shirt and a pair of jeans and lay waste with somebody. Yeah, right. I know. I, I agree. Uh, I, I, I just. It's nothing against him as as an athlete. It's nothing against him as a human being. It's not even really anything against him as a performer. It's just that for me, he doesn't really do anything. And I know that there are some people that talk about you know him being like this future star or whatever. And I I don't see it, and I, I don't think that that's the case. I don't and think I, it is because I don't think the way they're booking him, they see that. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. Um, so moving on from Hanare, another young guy, uh, 25 years old, is uh, Ayoto Yoshida, and he had a fairly lackluster run as far as results to the matches, but he always looked damn good in the ring. Yeah. Uh, I completely agree. Um, I I was actually going to save this for later. I I was kind of like hoping, and I know it won't happen, but I was kind of hoping that Yoshida becomes the next member of LIJ. Yeah. I know that's probably not going to happen. It's just me hoping because I think the guy has a tremendous amount of upside. Mm-hmm. And I think the window on him is almost now. Like, they keep calling him all of a sudden he's a young lion. But he's not really a young lion in the same traditional sense. Right. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, he's further on than that. Like, I'd like to see them put him in LIJ and, uh, you know, roll from that and, and give him a bump. I don't think that's what's going to happen, but that's what I was hoping. Sure. No, I, I, I totally agree. I, I think he's he's beyond Young Lion status. I think that even the even though he was, again, you know, dropping a lot of matches throughout the tour and... and uh, I mean, Jesus Christ, Paul. I gotta be honest with you, he probably had the best one-on-one match that Azuka's had in 15 years. Yeah. It ended in DQ, and it was kind of crap, but at the end of the day, it was better than a lot of shit I've seen with Azuka. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I'm totally with you. So, I, I'm hoping for big things from him. Uh, I hope that they continue to use him. I, ho- I mean, it looks like they are going to. Uh, and, I, and I really hope that at some point within the next six months or so, we see him get bumped up the card a bit. Because, I, to me, to be completely honest, if you really want to open up, like, the Never uh, uh, title ranks a bit, or, or um, hell, even... even Get some new blood into the U.S. title scene. Uh, not that I don't, I don't think it really needs it. I think the Never Belt would be a great place to maybe start giving him a push towards. Not necessarily putting the belt around him anytime soon or anything like that, but just get him in with those guys. You know, get him some matches with like Elgin and Cobb and Goto and Tai Chi. You, you know, get him yeah. into that mix. I feel well, like he's ready for it. That's kind of why I was hoping he'd be the next Lij member because I think in a way too, if you. If you wanted to bring him along even a little slower, but get him into something, you could tag him with Bushi for the junior tag tournament. Maybe maybe give him a little run there. If that goes well, get, put him in the junior the junior title mix if you wanted. You have a lot of options, but I think if he was to go to Lij, it instantly raises his part, spot in the card. Is he is his would he fit with the weight class? Because I, uh, I, I I think that weight class is pretty. Like I don't know how much he actually weighs, but I'm going to venture to say it's close enough that they could make it work. <laughs> fair, fair enough. You know what fair I mean? I, I, oh yeah, no, you're right. He it's it's because us. he's kind of tall that, that that sometimes I don't think of him as a junior because he's like uh, six foot, six foot one. But he is only 198 pounds. That's actually see. Okay, yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that because one of the other questions that we had is that we know that Bushi's going to have a new tag team partner in place of Hiromu. I, now I think you're onto something because a lot of people are saying Dragon Lee, and while I'm fine with that, especially if they do this angle where Dragon Lee comes into the fold, they have him in there, and then. They, you know, destroy him at some point for what he did to Hiromu, make an angle out of it, that'd be cool. But I actually think you're right. I think having Yoshida team up with Bushi in in the uh, junior tag tournament would be a great idea. So I told you, I did my homework this week. I was actually thinking these things through. I love it. Um, speaking of guys who do their homework, Big Dust and uh, Shitty Greg, uh, better known as Trent Beretta and um, Chucky T, uh, best friends, have a win over the Killer Elite Squad. Yes. Now, for the record, you will never hear me say his name without saying first, the Kentucky Gentleman, Chucky <laughs> yes, T. Of course. I'm a big Chucky T fan. Uh, <laughs> I'm a big fan, too, because Chucky T lives in Philadelphia. Yeah. And he's a fan of Philadelphia sports teams, like myself. But, uh, yeah, uh, the best I could figure there was just to give them a little bit of something as we head towards World Tag League. Just to make them yeah. more, cred- more credible, right? Well, yeah, and I, the truth of the matter is, if I'm, if I'm looking at tag teams to potentially put into the mix and to put into that tag title picture, uh, what I don't want is what we had you know, a year, a year and a half ago where it was basically three teams just trading the belt back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And that's no offense to like War Machine or KES um, or, or Gorillas of Destiny, but it made that tag title seem pretty fucking boring. 
Yeah. Um, and now you've already injected the new blood with Young Bucks. Um, and, and of course, you know, I mean, you've got L.I.J., you've got Evil and, and uh, Sonata in that picture, too. But uh, I, I think less now than maybe they were a year ago. Um, but getting guys like Chucky e. T and, and Trent Beretta in there, I think, is a great idea. And it's clear that they're high on Beretta. Um, you know, they wouldn't have given him that match with Omega uh, if they weren't. They wouldn't have split him off from Rocky and had him switch to heavyweight. Yeah, what what he, an unlucky break he had, though. What a terrible time to get yeah, injured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because as soon as he busts out of the tag division, he's going to go solo. This happens. Now it's almost like they just threw him back into the tag mix. Yeah, but I don't know that he's going to suffer for it because I, I don't see them winning the World Tag League, but I see them picking up wins in such a way that they might get a title shot coming out of it anyway. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if we get like a four-way elimination match at the Tokyo Dome and they're in it for yeah, the tag titles. We can hope. Yeah. Uh, but but anyway, I mean, hey, they've got they've got a win over former tag team champions, and, and uh, I don't think this – obviously, I don't think this hurts Lance Archer and David Boy Smith Jr. at all either. I no. think it's, you know, it's fine for them. Um so let's go ahead. Let's dive into some of the matches. Uh, let's let's just go straight for the uh, main event of the first night, which was Kenny Omega versus Tomohiro Ishii for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Awesome. Oh. Yeah, right? <laughs> it was awesome. I don't know what more you want me to say. These guys, I could watch these guys wrestle 365 nights a year. I really think I could. Like, it's yeah. just, God, they make it look so good, and it's so stiff and hard-hitting, but, like, ugh. I, I don't know, like, and they do just enough to make you feel like, like you, you go into this thinking, okay, there's no way Ishii's gonna win, but they do just enough to get you to be like, man, ugh, is he gonna? I know. Like, and, and yeah. you know, in the back of your mind, it's not. But well, it, it, and it's like, wonderful yeah. because it really does play into what you were saying earlier about how Tanahashi made the comments about Omega not being able to tell a story or whatever. They tell such a wonderful story, and it's like Kenny Omega's going high stakes early, which gets the crowd interested because they're seeing all this crazy shit, like that big dive that he did uh, at one point. And, and then in the finishing stretch, they get you doubting the winner, which is just so smart in the way that they're telling the story because early on, when, you, when this match begins, you're kind of thinking, okay, Omega's going to win the match. But because they give you kind of the... Smoke and mirrors, and I don't mean that in a bad way. You know, they give you the spectacle right out of the gate. You're just sort of like, oh shit, this is so much fun to watch. I don't care who's going to win. And then in the finishing stretch, like you're saying, all of a sudden you're thinking, like, oh shit, is Ishii going to pull this off? I mean, when Ishii did the V trigger, that was, for me, that was just like one of the coolest goddamn things I'd seen. Yeah. The whole thing was great. It really was. Yeah. It oh, was. The, the, how about when he put him outside the ring on the table? Mm hmm. And then he did, like, the double stomp. Like, they're lucky Kenny didn't kill himself. Because oh, the I way know. his feet hit and just slid right off, he was, he had no control at that point. Yeah. Like, that's one of those moves where I actually was, was more afraid for the guy that was doing the jumping. as the guy, because Ishii could, just had to stay there. I mean, I'm not saying it was a walk in the park having a guy land on you. But you right. know where you're going to wind up. Kenny, it was like hitting ice. He didn't know where he was going to end up. Yeah. But, no, it, I man, agree. it made they for one some... hell of a visual, didn't it? They really did, and they took some chances. There's no doubt about it. Um, but for me, it's interesting because I will say that the G1 match felt more like a fight, and they were trying to like kill each other. And this match had moments of that, like the table jump, like you're talking about, the finishing stretch with all the V triggers, and you know the big bombs, you know, targeting the neck and the head. Uh, 
it, it's weird because I know a lot of people were just very easily saying, like, oh, the G1 match was better. I'm not going to say different. that. Yeah. I, I, I feel like, you know, maybe, sure, the G1 match might have been better, but I'm not just going to be like, oh, yeah, that one was definitely better. Well, here, because, there's two things here before you go, like, and, and I'll give you my take. Two sure. things here. First of all, I feel like sometimes these G1 matches, you look at them differently because and they're 30-minute time limits. So it's going to be a lot more like an all-out brawl because there's less time to win the match as opposed to a match that can go 60 minutes. And I think some people are just going to look at the G1, and this is just human nature. No matter what, the visual of Kenny being busted wide open in his face makes it feel like it was even harder than... You know what I mean? Like, if the same exact match happened, and I'm not belittling the match, I loved it, but Kenny doesn't get busted open, does it still have that, oh, my God, did you see the match? Kenny was a mess. You know what I mean? Right. It gives it an added layer visually that makes it feel... It's almost like the Stone Cold Bret Hart thing. I mean, not to draw comparisons, but it's a great ending to a match, but it's even better by the fact that the blood's streaming off the guy's face as he's going to pass out. Yeah, It adds a, a layer to it that you don't get with the other match. Yeah, you know, and that goes back too to like what Magnum was saying in our interview with him about how he, you know, he he definitely misses blood, and it adds to the drama. That it also adds to that realism when you got two big guys beating the shit out of one another. It's like you know, it's like the schoolyard playground fight. You know, the kids don't just walk in looking like they, you know, just worked up a little sweat. You know, there's going to be a black eye or a busted lip or you know whatever. And I and I think that you're right that it did add, and that's one of the things too about Suzuki and Naito. Like you know, the blood added a bit to that. Match. Yeah. as well. So but we know too in the the G1 match between Omega and um Ishii, we know that he got busted the hard way. Right. Like that that he didn't blade. So whenever you see that as a wrestling fan you're thinking, "Oh my god." You know what I mean? It just it keeps adding dimensions to it that maybe it's unfair to try to live up to. Sure, that's very true. That's very true. Um, so next up, let's uh, fast forward straight to Tai Chi versus Hiroki Goto. All right, for... I'd like to take a moment here. Okay. All right, <laughs> just give me the floor for a minute. I am watching this. Was beyond happy. Can I just say how much I love Tai Chi? All right, I'm watching this, and I didn't think they were going to pull the trigger on it, even with all the shenanigans. I've never been happier watching a wrestling match. My boy Tai Chi is the never open weight champion. Everybody's got to pay him the respect he deserves now. <laughs> so, okay. Spoiler, I, he won, I just gave away the end of the match. No, it's all right. I have to be completely honest. I did not see the match before I saw the result. And in the results, because I, I don't... I Generally, if I'm going to read results, I don't just read who won or who lost. I go ahead and read... You know the match. Now it's incredibly difficult, and I don't mind this at all. I'm not like throwing anybody any shade because it's just the nature of writing these write-ups. It's incredibly difficult to find sort of an unbiased write-up. So a lot of the stuff that I was reading is that people were happy that Tai Chi won, but that they didn't like the match. So I did not go into the match expecting much. I knew that there were run-ins. I mean, Jesus Christ, Dave Meltzer gave it negative one and a half stars. Come on, so, seriously? Like, yeah, man, I know, I know. So I watched the match, and as I'm watching the match, I'm like a little over halfway through, and I'm like, this is a fucking good match. Like, this is a good match between two good wrestlers. What is everybody talking about? And then the run-in came, and I was like, oh, okay, now this shit's going to devolve. And I was like, what the f- 
fuck are you like to me after watching this match and and the result which i you know i'm not one of the people that's like tai chi but i i, I liked the result i thought it made sense <laughs> but but as i'm finished watching the match like i'm just scratching my head and i'm like I've seen 20 worse matches than this in the past two weeks. How the fuck is this negative one and a half stars? And I love Dave. I mean, you know, I, I, I follow the Observer. I do. And I, I think that the star rating system is fine. I don't have a problem with it at all. But as I'm, as I'm watching this and I'm getting finished, I'm just like, why, why is anyone hating on this match? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, he gave it the same score I think he gave Hogan Warrior at Halloween Havoc with the... the <laughs> Like, come on, man. Seriously, I like... Listen, I like Dave, and I'm not going to shit on his rating systems, but I seriously have to question if he was under the influence of something when he watched this match. <laughs> all right? I'm not saying it's a five-star classic by any stretch of the imagination, all right? Right. But, come on. I mean, Jesus, to, to me, it was... it's. It's better than most of what I see on any, and this isn't a high standard, don't get me wrong, but it's better than anything I see on, like, a Monday Night Raw or a SmackDown. It's better than most of the... You know, WWE pay-per-view matches, with the exception of, like, big main events, or most of the stuff, honestly, that was on Hell in the Cell, because Hell in the Cell is a pretty damn good card. But, you know, for the most part, yeah, I, I, I'm i baffled by that. I, again, I'm not saying that it was the greatest match ever. I'm not saying it was the match of the night. Sure as hell wasn't the match of the, the tour, but it was it was a fine match. It, I don't think it deserves the shame mean, that it's come on, seriously, it. if we're going to be completely honest about it, and we don't give ratings, right? Yeah. But it's it's got to be at least like a three star match, right? Oh God, I'd probably go three and a quarter, three and a half. Yeah, I would go over three two a little bit, but I mean, just for the sake of argument, it's not like it's a one or two star match. We're in the threes, <laughs> correct? Somewhere in the threes. Yes, I agree. I, I mean, agree. Jesus Christ, I don't get it, but yeah. whatever. The wrestling is completely subjective, and I Absolutely. loved it. I thought it fit into the characters. I thought it fit exactly. Like, tai Chi should win the titles being a swarmy little weasel. Yeah, what he is. I mean, and then the, the low blow and the... I mean, yeah, the, the like look the, on Mio Abe's face. Like, yeah. the best line, too, was that Kevin Kelly said that every man longs to have a woman that looks at them like Mio Abe looks at Tai Chi. Yes. <laughs> yup. Oh, yeah. God, yeah, that was good. You know, let's talk about the commentary real quick, because here's the thing. How do we feel about this new guy, this Mark, uh, Mark Wazetcha or whatever his name is? Uh, okay, like, like I said, I don't like to say negative things, okay? Uh... Hey, the guy was new. Let's give him a little room here and see how it goes. Sure. I mean, yep. that's kind of like, listen, I'm not one to ridicule anybody's voice. I got a voice for, you know, TV, you know, <laughs> but I don't know. It just, um, I think it's a little unfair, too, in a way, because the guy's not as good as Rocky was or Don Callis. And then to put him there with, like, not as much experience, you got to give him some time to grow and learn. And I thought as it went on, he got better a little bit, you know. Here's this was this was my thing, and I, I I agree. You're right. It is probably unfair to make any kind of final judgment on him. But if I am going to just give a critique, it wasn't a promising in, start. In, in the spirit of positivity, no, I won't even necessarily say that. In the spirit of positivity and, and encouraging someone to get better, as someone who's listened, you know, to wrestling commentary for most of his life, as I'm sure this guy has too. And when you're in that seat, it's a completely different thing. But just to try to give some constructive criticism. I would say stop trying to sound like a wrestling announcer. There were so many times when he was giving... It, it, it felt like when you watch WWE and somebody does those soundbite, you know, bullshit nuggets of information that they're getting fed by Kevin Dunn or Vince McMahon, it sounded like that. And we know he's not getting fed anything. 
So it was just like there was this there was this idea in my head where I'm thinking to myself, stop trying to sound like a wrestling announcer because it's clear he knows the product and it's clear he was having fun at times. So just do that. You know, that's something that makes Kevin Kelly great. Kevin Kelly doesn't try to sound like a wrestling announcer. He's out there having fun. He's knowledgeable about the product. And, you know, for the most part, he's calling it like a shoot. And it works really well. And there were times when, you know, when Mark was doing the same thing. And I feel like that, when that happened, it was very good. But there were other times that I noticed it, it just, it sounded like he was putting something on. And to me, that's a turnoff. I don't like it when that happens. Now... The flip side of that is, at least he doesn't sound lazy and disinterested like some other parties do from time to time. Yes. Do you want to say who those parties are? <laughs> no. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like anything else. The guy's going to get better. I mean, yeah. I'm sure, you know, listen, we're, we're totally knowledgeable wrestling fans. We, t- we have a show. We talk all about wrestling. And we know what's going on. If you put one of us out there and said, here, you're doing it, we would stumble. We would have, you know, lack of confidence. So we'll see where it goes. And I always say this, too, like, when he first came on on WWE product, I did not like Mauro Ranallo. Sure. Okay? Now I love Mauro Ranallo. Yeah. So I don't know if, if it's a case where he changed his style and got better or if I just got more accustomed to it and comfortable. So we'll see how it goes. Now, well, you know, it's interesting that you bring Mauro up because I kind of have the same beef with Mauro. It's like sometimes I feel like he tries too hard, you know. It's like he's, he's trying too hard to get those pop culture references in. He's trying too hard to draw those parallels between real-life sports or whatever. And sometimes I just want to be like, Mauro, just call the match because you're really good at it. See, you I know? think I it's like, like when he does that stuff because it's I just, know. I don't Different strokes it's, for different folks, my man. Yeah. But but I but I will say that I, I think that you know he's he's he'll be a worthy addition uh, and I look forward to seeing uh, uh, or hearing rather more from him because I, I think that there he does clearly have a passion and a knowledge about the 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 product and uh, I, I would love to hear him grow and, and get you know better a little bit more confident and maybe that's kind of a defense mechanism is it's like I have to try to sound like a professional wrestling announcer because I'm announcing professional yeah. wrestling and, yeah, and once it's it more comfortable that'll go away a little bit listen um, we were talking a couple hey, of months ago how we wish there was more English commentary on these shows totally. and now we're getting it so we're, we're, we're you know it's, it's a, the whole thing is a growing process it's a learning process and if and if you know what and, and here's the thing I gotta be honest with you if Mark ends up taking and, and this is not a knock but Mark ends up taking the lead on some of these B shows if you will eventually and Kevin Kelly has a little bit lighter of a workload and can focus on the bigger shows or do some other things or whatever I'd be fine with something like that I think that I think that the type of voice he has and the type of uh, presence that he brings to the product puts him easily in you know the lead seat for a B team and that's not a knock I'm just saying that I could see him being in that so yeah, we'll see what happens I know what you're saying because you, you clearly have the established A team right you know and what's the story with, with Don Callis is he done or is he just I don't know that he's done, but I think that his focus is impact right now, and I and I I, I have a feeling that we're gonna see less and less and less. Yeah, we might see him at, K- at King of Pro Wrestling. Um, you know, we might see him at the Dome, but I, I don't know that we're gonna see him anywhere else this you know for the rest of the the year, uh, if yeah. you will. Um, so, I will, right. you know, hey, big shout out. We, we you know, we, we uh, dropped our, our Matt Charlton interview, and I got to give a big shout out to Chris Charlton real quick because I missed him. I, I you know, as someone who, who just kind of, you know, dropped in and was there mainly for like the translating duties and everything, I thought Chris added a, a really wonderful dynamic to but that booth. Who and did I, the I, translations on these shows? Oh, I don't even know. It was so bad, dude. Yeah. And like, listen, I don't want to rag on anybody, but it was like he was way behind and he was talking like, this you couldn't even understand like what his translations were at some point because the, the 
because I don't think it was. Um, oh, crap. It wasn't my child, uh, Chris Charlton. It wasn't Django. It wasn't Django. Thank you. That's no, why I missed it. No, somebody else. Yeah. And no. whatever it was, like I'm sure the guy's an excellent translator. He can speak both languages. But it was almost like he was too far behind. A yeah. and B. He was talking so lightly, you couldn't even hear him. Yeah, which I noticed, honestly, at the very beginning when Django first started doing it, and I think that that was his mic, not him, so I, I, I wonder if that was the case, although you're right, he did almost sound like a golf announcer on occasions, you know, where it's like, he's lining up the putt, you know, it was it was very much But it felt that. like he was 20 seconds behind what they were saying, like well, at one point too. they were talking for a good long, like, and I thought to myself, I even said to Liam, like, we're 20 seconds here, is there a translator? I thought they said there was right. a translator. Yeah. I don't know. Um, Sorry. Naito Suzuki. I think we talked about this to a certain degree. I mean, kind of was what it was. There was nothing wrong with the match, but it didn't feel like it was the main event of a show. It didn't feel like there was anything on the line, really. Yeah, and it felt like it was a little too long. Yeah. You know, I, I look, they're, they're, they're two of the most talented guys in the company. You know, Naito's your favorite wrestler. You know, Suzuki's easily one of my favorite wrestlers. I mean, so is Naito, for that matter. Um, and there were some spots that really worked. Uh, I don't mind when Suzuki works a hold for, for two or three minutes. Uh, that doesn't bother me at all. Uh, I thought the table spot was really well played. You know, you don't always see Suzuki go through a table either. So no. that was, you know, that was kind of cool. Um, the blood, you know, which was which seemed to be hard way juice uh, on Naito's part. Um, you know, there was definitely some good stuff that was that was coming out of the match. There were some good spots. Uh, it looked like Naito botched the gotch-style pile driver, and Suzuki had to save himself or he was going to get dumped on his head. Um, there were other moments that seemed a little sloppy within the match, too. Um, I, you know, look, I like it when they brawl. I like it when Suzuki gets in there and kind of shoots. I love it when Naito sells, when Naito gets cocky. When you know, there, were, there was some good stuff to the match, but overall, as far as a main event goes, and as far as, like, we're talking about was was the reasoning behind the match i kind of felt like they had nothing else to do yeah if i hadn't seen and you know in some ways i actually i mentioned this earlier i kind of almost preferred this to their intercontinental title match so i don't know it was it was fine but it was not it it was not not, it should not have been the main event of of a show one of the three shows yeah and it should not have gone like 35 40 minutes or whatever it did I'm going to say something that's crazy here, but I almost wish Tai Chi and Goto was the main event. I actually do, too. And I think it would have put a little bit more importance on that belt. Yeah, and, and here's the thing, too. Like, people, you could shit on that Tai Chi match or whatever. I thought the match was incredibly fun. It was just fun to watch and all the shenanigans. And it was, you know, you get that excitement. Yeah, he's going to win the title thing. And then it just felt like everything after that was a letdown. Like, like oh. Right. You know, and like... They, you, you, you know, going back to Tai Chi and Goto real quick, too, they wrestled a hell of a match. And they yeah. sold like champs. I mean... There was a lot to like about that match, and in comparison to the Suzuki Naito match, I felt like there were more things that I could nitpick at it. So, hey, but you know, people like what they like. It's subjective, like we've said. And 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 I and the last thing I would ever want to do is shit on Naito and Suzuki, mainly because Suzuki might kill me, and because I love Naito. So, you yeah. know, it, it was not. I'm not saying it was a bad match, but it, you did have to question why it was there. Yes. IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tournament Semifinal Match between Kushida and Bushi. Uh, only went about 16 minutes. It felt... It didn't feel short, but it felt like it could have gone a little bit longer. Felt a little rushed. Yeah, that's... Um, there it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was... Uh, put it this way. It was... There was nothing wrong with the match. It was a good match, and certain parts of it were really good. 
but I felt like they could have had a better match. They probably both have had better matches with each other in the past. The, my big problem with this was I, I walked into it just assuming Kushida was going to win this match, and then nothing, there was no part really that changed that in my mind. Um, you know, you got to late, the only time I thought maybe is when there was the spot late with the ref, and then he hit him with the mist. Yep. I thought maybe he was going to sneak a win. And, and to be honest with you, I was rooting for Bushi. Nothing against Kushida. I mean, I love Kushida, but I, I was kind of hoping we don't get Kushida Osprey again. Like, I would have liked something a little different. Yeah. And, you know, hey, let's be fair. We could get Kushida uh, uh, Marty Skrull, you know? I mean, yeah, that's no, certainly I a possibility. I was kind of hoping for, like, Bushi and Marty, to be honest with you. I know. I You know, and it's weird because as I was as, as I started to watch the match, I actually... I actually thought maybe Bushi would get the win. I really did. And there is a part of me that wonders if if that shouldn't have happened. And it's weird because when the tournament bracket got announced, I immediately kind of discounted Bushi and Skrull. You know, I thought, oh, we're going to get Kushida Osprey. We said the same thing. We said on the show, well, it's going to be Osprey and Kushida. Yeah. And, and, And then when this match happened, there was a part of me that was just sort of like, hmm, maybe not. And then you know the result was what it was, and it was and like I said, it was fine. It was I actually liked the match. I, yeah, I you know I enjoyed it. No, yeah. I mean they're great. I mean, Kushida's fucking amazing, uh, and this was no different. Uh, but it did feel like it. I guess it was a little, a little, a little, very little underwhelming. Yeah, to me, I wouldn't say underwhelming. Like the best thing I can describe it is it was a little anticlimactic. There you go. Um, I was kind of hoping to be honest, with you, especially like I looked at it this way. I figure they're probably, you don't know what they're going to do, but the most likely scenario is Osprey winning this, right? Yeah. If Osprey's going to win, I would have rather him face Bushi to give yeah. us something a little different. Or, and, you know, I mean, Kushida could win it. Maybe that's why he won this match. But, like, I almost feel like, okay, if you're going to have Kushida or Osprey win, have the other guy lose his semifinal to give us something a little different. Well, and here's something too that I that I feel that that if we get Kushida Osprey in the finals, which I do think is likely, I do almost feel like Osprey has to go over. And the reason be it's twofold. One, you know, Osprey has said earlier this year uh, after the Skrull match where he almost got killed that he wanted Kushida again, that he had to have another match with Kushida, and you know, for the title. And so I think that there is. There's still a build to that match that should be occurring, if you will, and I think Osprey needs to win that match. And I, you know, it's almost too bad for Kushida in some ways, but I think Osprey's upside um, long term is going to be a move to the heavyweight division. And I, you know, some people have been calling it for a while. I was a little reticent to get on that bandwagon, but I, I think that it's a possibility, especially seeing him in there mixing it up with Kenny and, and Ibushi in those tag matches and, and seeing how Ibushi has been used. Uh, you know, I think that there is, there. I mean, hell, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I wouldn't be shocked if Osprey isn't in the G1 next year. So I, I think that it's weird because if Osprey beats Kushida and takes that title, then it puts him as an IWGP junior heavyweight champion again, and it puts him in a junior heavyweight division. But let's face it, Devitt, you know, took on the heavyweight champion. Who knows? Maybe we could see Osprey Omega power struggle, you know, like we saw yeah. uh, Devitt Tanahashi at one point. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know how it's going to play out, but to me, that just makes a lot of sense. Uh, but for all we know, Skrull's going to beat Osprey. Yeah, I had to look, too, because 
Not that one thing has to do with the other, but Osprey is challenging Jay Lethal for the Ring of Honor World Heavyweight title. But I had to look at the timing of that because, which actually comes first, which no, is good. Yeah, because I was going to say, if that came after, there's no way, I don't care who it is, if you're Ring of Honor, you can have another company's light heavyweight champion come in and beat your heavyweight champion, correct? Right. But the, the Ring of Honor card is in three days. So the death before dishonor. So that comes up first. So that doesn't really play into it. Interesting, yeah. Because you know what I'm trying to say? Like, I, I wasn't sure the timing, but I don't care how great a wrestler is. You can't have the, somebody's junior title champ come in and beat your heavyweight champ. Just can't happen. Right. But, so, you know, I don't know why I threw that out after I figured out it was first. But I don't no, know. No, no, There's it, just hey, a lot worth... of, like, factors that go into this stuff. Absolutely. And it's one thing... Um... We'll talk about in a second, but, like, the Fighting Spirit Unleashed card getting released when it did. Uh, I want to go back real quick, actually, to the undercard, because we did fail to mention something. And I mentioned this on Twitter, and I'm very excited to see it, because, I mean, Shota Umino has been kind of my my young lion. I've really championed him uh, uh, big time and really enjoyed him uh, a lot and and what he's done. But uh, this Road to Destruction tour, in general, and, and destruction shows, have felt to me like the... In the Young Lions context, the rise of Yota Suji. Suji has been pretty incredible, and and I think that he seems more developed as a character. Like, obviously, the fundamentals have been there, um, but now there's an attitude to him, there's a character, there's a personality, there's a charisma that feels like he's ready to take it to the next level, uh, which makes sense. You know, I imagine he'll be going on excursion probably, you know, after the Dome. Um, and he's... I don't know. I, he's one to watch, without a doubt. Yeah, speaking of excursions, I'm sorry, I should have thrown this out. Now, I've actually, I mean, I'm on the record saying I want um, Yoshida, Yoti Yoshida, to be the, the LIJ member, right? Yeah. Any chance Quato comes back? You know, that is I another mean, I, name I think that, it's a little too soon, but... You're right. I think it's a little too soon, too, but it is a name that has been thrown out there in, in the Bushi tag partner realm. So, I mean, you've got, I think you've got three potential guys. You've got... Neville. Well, okay, four potential guys. So, so you've got, um, you know, we mentioned Yoshida, we mentioned Dragon Lee. I think, I think Kawato is a potential name. I mean, I think he's worth being in the mix. I agree, it's probably a little too soon. But then again, what? I mean, he's been on excursion for about six months. Um, I think it's eight months, but who knows? Yeah, and then you've got, uh, and then yeah, I mean Neville. Hell, Neville is is potentially a name. The weird thing about Neville is, and this is, and this is you know, second hand, but apparently he is on the record as saying that he's not ready to get in the ring yet. And that was very weird to me. Smoke uh, and mirrors, maybe? It could be. But the weird thing is, is let's face it, he was granted his release, like what, like six weeks ago? And he hasn't, we haven't heard anything? Yeah, but you wonder if that's just a case in point where he signed with somebody and they're waiting for the right time to debut him could be you know who knows i mean especially if it is new japan you were if he signed with them during g1 and he's going to come in as a junior it doesn't make sense to get through this stuff and then bring him like who knows if he yeah no that's a good point because if he debuts he's got two locations to debut and make it really interesting and one is fighting spirit unleashed and the other would be king of pro wrestling because wherever you debut him you want it to be big and i, I think would that do those it pro- at the fighting spirit unleashed because american fans are going to instantly know who he is yeah it's going to get a huge crowd reaction a huge pop and then you're going to bring him on the heels of that right into King of Pro Wrestling. You can have him, you don't even have to introduce him as the new member, like if, if it's him. You could just have him come out and show up or something, say I've signed with New Japan. Then a King of Pro Wrestling have him come down and attack somebody and help Bushi or something. Right. 
which would have made a hell of a lot more sense had Bushi won his match. You could have had him come down and try to help Bushi win the tournament final. That's very true. And the other thing is, is that I feel like you've got the opportunity for him to immediately make a splash. You know, it makes the most sense after that Osprey Skrull match. And, you know, who knows, maybe he cost Osprey that match, which gives us Kushida Skrull. And then we get, maybe we get Osprey Neville at King of Pro Wrestling, which yeah. that match would be fucking off the charts. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many different, like, cool stuff that could happen here. So, um, okay, so let's go to the, the main event uh, of our final Destruction show, which, honestly, you could just say is the main event of the entire Destruction tour, uh, yeah. which is Kazuchika Okada versus Hiroshi Tanahashi for the G1 briefcase. I loved this match. I did not think it was as good as their G1 match. Um but that is 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 basically like saying I didn't like winning a million dollars. I only won nine hundred ninety nine thousand. You know what yes, I mean? No, like I get it what was, you're saying. Yeah. Isn't it amazing that we sat here and, and not just us, but other people a couple months ago, and after what I forget what time, what show they wrestled at the last, the first time we were talking about it. We we're like, okay, this is the end of this. Yep. This is the final chapter, and what a way to go out and everything. Holy God, little did we know what was to come. I know. And we've gotten, now we've gotten two more quality matches. We've gotten countless tag team interactions that have always been fantastic. Uh, and this match, you know, I, I think I, I texted you something like this, or I tweeted it, or both. But it was so cool to see the dynamics shifting between these two and not necessarily purely the Tanahashi Okada dynamic, but the, you know, who Okada is and who Tanahashi is. And we've seen Tanahashi get a little desperate before. We've seen Tanahashi get a little mean before, but in this match, it felt like he built on a lot of what came out of that Ibushi G1 final. And now he's like this, it was almost like before he was denying the fact that he was getting older. He was denying the fact that he maybe lost a step, that he, you know, that he wasn't quite the, you know, he's, he's always the ace, don't get me wrong, but he wasn't quite the kind of ace that we got before. It was almost like he was in denial that Father Time was catching up to him a little bit. And now he's embraced it, and yeah. he's getting smart about it, and he's like, I might not be able to beat you the way that I could beat you five years ago, but I can still beat you. And that, to me, is like a level up of his character that some guys never get. Yuji Nagata is a great example of that. Yuji Nagata, when he was when he was on, you know, when he had those few years there where he was the best guy in the company, he was the best guy in the company. And then he got to a place where he was no longer the best guy in the company, and he couldn't necessarily beat the best guy in the company anymore. Yeah. And and Tanahashi, on the other hand, is like. I will always find a way to win. Yeah. Um, the, the best part about this for me is that I thought for sure this was going to end with shenanigans. Now, yes, we wound up getting a lot of that stuff, but not until after. Do you know what I mean? Like, he picked yep. up a clean win. Yes. So he's able, and, and they kept, like, building it up, and, and it puts it in context, that he hadn't had a victory over Okada in something like almost 1,400 Oof. days. 
Yeah, it was like four years. Yeah, they kept building up like this is kind of his, the bane of his existence right now. Ever since Okada came back, he's owned him a little bit. And like he even said in the press conference when he picked it, like he has to beat Okada. He has to get that off before he can go to the Dome. To have him yeah. pick up a clean win was important. And you still got all the stuff after, which was, furthers yeah, the storyline a lot. And, and because of this, well, before we get there real quick, because of the story that they told, though, Okada, his own personal story, gets expanded on. And, and part of that obviously comes from the post-match. But never did it feel like... This is going to sound weird. It didn't feel like Okada lost this match. It felt like Tanahashi beat him. Yeah. And and that was important because it, 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 it keeps Okada as Okada. And there's still some redemption that needs to occur for him. And clearly after this post-match, you know, we're going to get that story, I think, is going to become a focus over the next year, um, which is why I see him headlining the Dome in 2020, uh, you know, most likely with Naito. Although, who knows at this point? It could, could be uh, another guy who we're going to talk about in just a second. And I think that Okada having the the focus maybe taken off of him a little bit. And even throughout the G1, you know, obviously he was consistent. He was in some of the best matches of the tournament, et cetera, et cetera. But having the focus shift and being a little bit more on guys like Omega and Tanahashi and Ibushi and Jay White, it in no way does he get lost in the shuffle. And that's a testament no. to who he is. And this match, I felt like, it was it was a case of Tanahashi having to throw everything he had at him in order to win. This is how brilliant I think this was. If if you or me were to, like you and I were to talk about this, they say, "Oh, how about Tanahashi?" The first thing we say is, "Wow, that's a huge win for him. He gets the monkey off his back. He's you know he's got his next defense. He's on to Wrestle Kingdom." But then when we say, "Oh, how about Okada?" It's not like, "Oh, he finally lost to Tanahashi." I think it's, "Oh, he had a great match." But how about what happened afterwards? What Jay White yeah. did to him? Like you almost gloss over the fact that he lost the match because of what happened. His story continued after the match. Tanahashi Perfect. got yep. his win. So when you look at Tanahashi, you okay, he finally got the win over Okada. Now he's ready to move on. And when you talk about Tana, uh, Okada, it's oh, it, we're not talking about who well, he lost or he did this or anything. It's what happened afterwards and what is, what's going to happen. And the thing is that it set up multiple threads because we know that there is every likelihood we're going to get Tanahashi versus Jay White. And it set that up perfectly because of the Blade Runner on Tanahashi. And then the, the, the meat of the story in some ways, and this is no way to say that Tanahashi and Jay White take a back seat, but then be, you know that, that Jay White Okada stuff reaches its boiling point. Ghetto comes down. You know, Ghetto seems to be trying to reason with them and then takes the chair and waffles Okada with it and I now was not saying got... waffle he, he like he hit him with the worst <laughs> chair shot I've seen but it's the the principle cuz it's a pretty like weak chair shot well you know Okay, but I'm just saying, you, waffles no, yeah. is an extreme term in this. You know. <laughs> but, but no, I get but, exactly what you're saying. Like, and then if you look at it, like after the he defends against Tanahashi, the, the case, which I'm sure now Okada is going to do something. So once this is over, it's going to have, like you said, you have the multiple threads, but it's going to be the Tanahashi part's going to be over and done with, and he'll be on to Omega, and then you'll have this this hot feud going with the other two and the whole chaos aspect, and it's all going to roll around right around January fourth. And we have been talking about Okada J. White at the Tokyo Dome for months now. And I think that 
it is it, 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 to me I you know they have they've done the slow burn on it so perfectly um, they they've they've worked this to the hilt um, you know it, it, it's going to be a match that I cannot wait to see and I think that you, you throw Yoshihashi into the mix there's another layer here uh, there's even another layer that's worth talking about which I didn't even think about until somebody mentioned it on Reddit Makabe was on commentary for this match Makabe was tag team partners with Toru Yano when Yano split off from Great Bash Heel to form chaos with Nakamura and Makabe got betrayed by him. Makabe has a front row seat to Jay White betraying Okada and in essence destroying chaos. It's going to be interesting too. Like my only gripe with the whole thing was Yoshihashi. If you want to use logic here, shouldn't Yoshihashi have come out and sided with Jay White? The Yoshihashi needs something new to his character. And if you would split him off and put him with Jay White and Gato, it would elevate him. Because what do we always say about Yoshihashi? Guy's a real good worker. He's just missing something. Right. Well, here's the thing. i got to be honest with you. I don't necessarily know that that's out of the question yet. No, no, I mean, no. Obviously, I'm he's got saying... from it. No, I agree. You're right, though. You're right. I, I think it was probably the expectation. But Does this break have... up show and yo? Well, it could because here's the other thing. There's no way they did all that groundwork with Jay White trying to get um, Yo to use the chair and everything unless it's going to come into play at some point. And, and, and I think that the thing that, that is also interesting and, and we're thinking about is that if you had Yoshihashi turn on Okada at this point, then it would have lessened the impact of Gato. Mm-hmm. So because you have Gato and, and, and you know, during the turn, I, I think that you had to leave Yoshihashi out of doing any kind of turn but still have him in the picture, and that's why he ended up doing the, you know, the, the run-in, the slide-in. Here's oh, another thing, too. Like, we, we talk about <laughs> Sho and Yo, right? Yeah. Ever since this shit started... And Jay White's been trying to get Yo to use the chair and everything. Even when they wrestle as a tag team now, they wear a different attire. They do, you're right. They wear their singles attire. It's almost like you're, they're predispo- predisposing your brain to think they're not a team. So let's, let's you know what, let, okay, I, I think we're both in agreement. The match was great. Yeah, and, we could and, talk and, about this for an hour, so we should save this discussion. Yeah, so let's let's move on to Fighting Spirit Unleashed because I don't know that there's anything directly coming out of, of, of this that leads into Fighting Spirit Unleashed, but there are a couple of little interesting notes because the full card has been released. Yes, um, yes, it now, has. Do you have do you have it in front of you, or do you want me to? Start no, I have it right next? here. Perfect. Okay. Why don't you give us that first match? The first match is a six man tag. We have Shoyo and Rocky versus one a good friend of the show, ACH. ACH. Taguchi and Jushin Thunder Liger, which is going to be an awesome way to start the show. It really is. I think we're going to get a good mix of comedy and some some great high spots. Um, I, you know, it'll be interesting to see who gets the, the pin here. It'll probably be Liger. I imagine it'll be Liger, uh, probably Liger over Rocky. Um, yeah, I, but it, I think it'll be great. Okay, then we get on to a tag team match. We have SoCal United, SCU, Frank Kazarian and Christopher Daniels take on Chase Owens and Hangman Page. And I'm excited about this. I want to see Owens and Page as a team. I like those guys. Well, I think they're going to be teaming for World Tag League. Yeah, so this is a perfect way to... Yeah, and it makes me wonder if, if Kazarian and Daniels aren't going to be involved in World Tag League as well. Yep. Then we have a six-man tag match. You have the Kentucky gentleman, gentleman Chucky T and Beretta, a.k.a. best friends, teaming up with Chaos Stablemate Goto to take on Flip Gordon, Chris Sabin, and friend of the show, Jeff Cobb. 
So I'm excited about this because I like all the guys involved, and I'm always happy to see Jeff Cobb wrestle. Yeah, I'm very excited oh, about this. You said I'm, you just like blanked out I, I, on me, bro. That's usually me. Who does well, that. yeah, I think we had a little bit of technical difficulty oh, there. Okay. Uh, sorry, fans, but give yeah, me a hand signal next time the on the video about... so I know to just keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm leaving this in. It's the joy of recording live. Uh, so yeah. yeah, this match I'm excited about. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and, you know, Jeff Cobb. I, I, I'm always excited to see what he's going to do. Um, you know, I think that having Flip in there with somebody like Beretta, uh, we could probably get some really interesting shit going on between the two of them. Uh, Saban was great in in the junior heavyweight. Um, uh, tournament, the best of the super juniors, rather. Uh, so yeah, I think it'll be a fun. You know what I want man, out of this? Know. I What's want that? I want Flip Gordon and Jeff Cobb in the World Tag League. Oh shit! That's what I want. Oh man! Wow! Wow! All right! All right! Tell me it wouldn't be fun. No, it would be hell of styles. Of fun. It would make for an interesting like. I'm sure they could come up with some crazy moves where Flip does a flip, but Gordon uses the power to launch him or something, or Gordon or like Cobb. Cobb. Or like, yeah, Cobb does like a tour of the islands, which basically is it, it, like he picks Flip up for it, and like Flip does some sort of weird cannonball out of tour of the islands. Or yeah, it would be it would be insane. That's what I want. Anyway, I, what I don't want is Jeff Cobb and Michael Elgin. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, then we get another six man tag match. We have the the Lij team of Sonata, the King of Darkness, Evil, and Tetsu and Naito versus Kes and Zack Saber Jr. Yeah, man. That'll be uh, good. I, I think it'll be damn good. I I, I do. I, I think um, we're gonna we're gonna get a lot of really cool stuff out of this. And I, I wonder if we're not gonna be leading to Naito, Zack Saber Jr. potentially at um, at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, this would also be a perfect opportunity if he wanted to for Chris Jericho to make his presence known if we're going to get Naito Jericho 2 at Wrestle Kingdom, which is obviously potential. Or, of course, we could even get Jericho Naito at King of Pro Wrestling. Yeah. Who knows? So, yeah. No, it's it's interesting. Uh, I'm really fucking interested in this next match. Yeah. The next match is interesting. It is a tag team match. We have Kushida and Tanahashi versus Gato and Jay White. Yeah, man. I mean, to me, this match might be one of the more important non-title matches on the card. Uh, I think everything we get from Tanahashi and White is going to tell us a lot about what their matchup is going to be. Um, I I think that uh, Tanahashi kind of building off of the attitude that he's got from the Ibushi match and the Okada match, we might we might see Tanahashi willing to just get right in front of this sick, dastardly heel Jay White's face and say, oh, what, you think you're a badass? You know, come at me. Um, and, and I'm really interested to see. I, and having Kushida in the mix is going to make things interesting, too. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm going to keep my eye on him because who knows where he's going to go uh, after this or, or after the, the title match at King of Pro Wrestling. Yeah. No, it's going to be interesting. I mean, there's so much in play here. Yeah. So much. Then we get the other semifinal of the tournament, Osprey versus Marty Scroll. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm split because, again, going into it, I was thinking Osprey, but then after our conversation, it's like, well, maybe it is Scroll, and what if Neville does appear here and, you know, does something? And, I, you know, I, again, I think that New Japan, typically, if we're going to have a run-in like that, it happens after the match as opposed to being, you know, causing the outcome of the match. But 
who knows? You, you yeah. Know, you could get something a little different. I'm hoping Marty wins just to have something different, but we're going to get a good match either way. Then yeah. we get into the meat and potatoes of the show here, if that's not enough for you. We right. have uh, a tag title match, the IWGP Tag Team Championship match. The championship team of Nick and Matt Jackson, the Young Bucks, take on Bullet Club OG firing squad members Tonga Loa and Tama Tonga. Um, I got a really bad feeling that GOG is going to win this. You think so? Yeah. Man. I, the only saving grace is I kind of want them to win it, and I want the Young Bucks in the World Tag League. Well, the Bucks would probably would could still be in the World Tag League. Yeah, champions. but I think it would make a better story if they were in as as and tried to had to win it to get their tag title chance back. Yeah, I don't know. There's a part of me. There's a because because we could be, unfortunately, but if we're just being honest, because we could be seeing you know writing the end of the Young Bucks New Japan Pro Wrestling story. What I would personally love to see, and I would not put it beyond Gato to do, is to have the Bucks keep the titles win the World Tag League as the champions, pick whoever they wanted to face, uh, you know, have have some crazy four-way match at Wrestle Kingdom, drop the titles there. Head off into then, the sunset. Yeah, you know, head to Connecticut. Let me, um, let me ask this, uh, and this is totally unrelated, but I guess you just brought it up. Uh, the likelihood of them and some other people going to Connecticut, has it not seemed like it's increased in the last two to three weeks? Yeah, but yeah. All right. You know, and here's the thing. I, 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 based on the tenor of the interview um, that Omega gave, and based on everything we've heard about what Cody has said about making the decision together, I think I could be wrong about this. That those that are going to make that decision together are Cody, Matt, and Nick. I don't think it includes Kenny. I don't think Kenny's going anywhere. I think that Cody and the Bucks are going. Well, we're gonna see. Yeah, we are. Um, I always thought that Cody was the most likely to go back. I mean, he was born, basically born into it. His, his family has such a history with that company. Like, I know he didn't leave on the greatest terms, but he's built himself into a huge star now. You know, there's so I mean, many friends there. I'll tell you what, if I'm, you know, if I am Cody in the Bucks, though, I don't go just for the money. No, no, I'm I, sure. I am absolutely sure that they would sit down and have assurances from Triple H of how they're going to be used and in what capacity. I just got a feeling that it's going to be um, Kenny's going to go with them but that's another discussion yeah I don't right. but anyway <laughs> anyway uh, then we have speaking of Cody we have Cody versus Juice for the US title yeah uh, which is not going to be uh, according to the list on New Japan uh, website the main event uh, which is I guess not super surprising but it's a little surprising um, I I think I mean, I think Cody walks out as the champ. Yeah, I kind of do, too. Um, you know, I, I it'll be interesting to see what happens with his NWA championship defense, which is, what, in a couple of weeks? Well, you got to uh, so figure he's going to win that first one, right? Like, nothing against... I forget who he's wrestling, but that other one guy, because he's going to have the belt when he wrestles all this at the NWA 70th anniversary challenge. Right, right. So, here's a question. Yeah. Does Cody wear the, the NWA title belt out to the ring? I think he should. I think he should, too. Yeah. And the main event is Tomohiro Ishii and Kazuchika Okada versus Kota Ibushi and Kenny Omega. It's going to be a badass match. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I think it's going to be a hell of a match. And uh, I think there could be a chance that 
something. I don't know what, and I'm not making any predictions about what it means for the future or King of Pro Wrestling even, but I think something could happen between Kenny and Coda. Yeah, something could happen. I'm not sure exactly what, but something's going to happen. You know, and, and who knows? You know, maybe not. We'll see. I don't know, but but I that's my feeling anyway. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think we've, we've covered pretty much everything that we set out to cover on this episode, and we've done it all in about 90 minutes. How incredible is that? Yeah, no, we've stuck to our, uh, yeah, that's, that's a first for us, but that's good, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, we do have, we do have one more thing, though, that we want to throw out there, and that is the return of the classic match segment of King of Pro Wrestling, uh, it's been a while, but we do have a classic match. Now, we're only going to do one from now on. We, we had been doing two, sometimes even three, but we're just going to do one in the interest of time and because, hey, you know, we're in this for the long haul. We'll have plenty of opportunities to talk about classic matches. And that classic match is about from October the 8th, 2007, between the IWGP heavyweight champion Yuji Nagata and a much younger... But still fairly seasoned by this point. Yeah. Hiroshi Tanahashi. The ace. Hell yeah. I'm excited because um, I so haven't seen I, this match. I, you know, it, it's been a long time since I've seen it. In fact, uh, the last time I saw it was probably around 2007, 2008. So it's been, it's been a while. Um, but I, I'm looking forward to revisiting it and talking a little bit about it, especially in the context of where Tanahashi is today and even where Nagata is today. Speaking of where Nagata is today, Paul. Let's talk real quick about our own classic matches. Have you been enjoying any Fire Pro World? Not as much as I should have been. I'm going to be uh, totally honest with you. Here's what happened. Picked <laughs> up the game right before StarCast. So I didn't yeah. really get a chance to play because I had to pack and get all the last-minute things. Then I came out to Chicago, and when I got back, uh, I got sick. And then right after, I shouldn't say this, but all my video game time has been devoted to Spider-Man. I understand. So, and I'm like deep into that game. So the sec- I, now my goal is to beat Spider-Man as fast as I can, so I can really dive into Fire Pro full on. Like I want to sit down and play for a couple hours at a time and get rid because it's such a unique game and it's 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 a game you got to play a lot to get good at. It's not like it's a button masher. Yeah, yeah. I've been enjoying the um, um, the fighting road, like the the story mode, uh, which is why I was talking about Nagata because Nagata's kind of you know he's your trainer and I. I just, you know, I, I had my debut match as a young lion, and I'm, you know, uh, 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 in some tag matches here and there and everything, and it's been it's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed it. It's such a deep game, um, and there's so much more to it than I've only really scratched the and, surface. And yeah, I've, and I've I didn't forget, too, hours, I haven't know. played it all or anything. I still owe a match online with, with uh, Tom Fane, your long-lost cousin. Yes, indeed. That's right. Uh, yeah, we're gonna you're gonna be Zack Saber Junior. and he's gonna pick somebody else, and he's gonna kick you know kick our ass. Uh, he's gonna destroy no. me at this point. I, I think I played two matches. I but, didn't even know, get the achievement for winning a match yet. Two other things worth mentioning in the video game realm. Yeah. One from, from from my part, I too have been soaking a lot of my time into Spider Man. Uh, and then the other thing is that it is worth mentioning that WWE 2K19 is coming out in just a couple of weeks. The reason why I bring it up is because they have done a lot of work on it. It looks like there's a lot of improvements that have been made that fans have been asking for for the past two or three years. Um, And one of the things that they've done that's fascinating to me is that in the arena creation mode, they've added 
Japan Dome, which is obviously the Tokyo Dome, yeah. and Japan Hall, which is obviously Corkian Hall. Yeah. Um, so you can now make Tokyo Domes and Corkian Hall matches uh, happen in, in 2K19. And as Paul and I know, there's always a very deep roster of New Japan wrestlers. God love, can I just take this, whether it's WWE 2K or it's Fire Pro, God love the hardworking individuals that go through all the work to make these excellent creative wrestlers for the rest of us to enjoy. Absolutely. Okay, whether whatever game it is, like I know within WWE 2K19, within a couple days of it being out, I will be able to download the entirety of the New Japan roster. I mean, people even make the Young Lions and everything, and it's yeah. great. It is great to have the belts, to have everything. Like God love the like. I don't know how people have the patience to sit down and do all that. But, like, I know, like, even with Fire Pro, and it, like, you look at it, it doesn't look like it'd be that complex because the, the art, like, style, it's super complex. And people make these people look incredibly good. Yeah. No, it's, it is incredible, and I, I'm grateful for that, too, because it's one of the things that I've only scratched the surface with. You know, I basically just created my guy for the story mode. But um, anyway, I don't know. You got anything else, Paul? No, I mean, between playing Spider-Man and then Fire Pro and trying to read these books and watching old Jim Crockett promotion stuff, like, it really seems like my life is work, sleep, doing whatever I have to do with the kids, and then video games and wrestling, which isn't a bad life, let me tell I you. No, it's, yeah, it's it not It really bad is not a bad life. Um, and God bless my wife. She lets me get away with this stuff. She wanted to kill me the other day, though. I should point this out. Um... We were at StarCast, but we, we did go to some of the panel stuff, but there was a lot of stuff we missed out on because we were... It was a work trip for us. I mean, we were hunting down interviews and, and contacts and things like that. So I went and I meant to buy the one-day pass, day two, because there's stuff I wanted to see. And I hit the wrong button, and before I knew it, I bought the 100-hour pass. Oh, shit. And it, like, instantly must have sent a message because my wife wasn't home. And I hit the button and realized what I did, and like literally within 30 seconds, I got a text, and it basically said, "Did you just spend 100 hours, 106 dollars on iTunes?" <laughs> and I had to tell the truth and say I did. I honestly didn't mean to. I hit the wrong thing, and I wasn't paying any attention to what I was doing. Um, so yeah, I now own all the Starcast, which is kind of neat, I guess. Um, and Mainly would, because we're we're on it. We uh, are a couple on of it. Spots. We're on yeah. Twitch TV's broadcast a whole bunch, but like the Starcast because we went to the um, the Monday Night War thing. But what I want the, the Monday Night War debate. But really, the things I wanted to see that I, was uh, the roast of Bruce Prichard, the Monday Night, um, the yeah. Death of WCW panel, and um, I wanted to see the, the War Games retrospective. So now I have all that plus a whole lot more. Apparently, the good news is though I got like twenty some credits. So I basically am going to get the NWA show for free. Nice. Very cool. Yeah, yeah I've got, I've look, got silver two credits, lining, too. Right? So I tried to explain to my wife <laughs> that I didn't really spend 100 hours. I really only kind of spent 75. <laughs> she didn't buy you know, that argument, but yeah. I, I think I think on that note, it's a perfect time for us to uh, go home and, and say thank you to everybody for listening. And we'll be back uh, real soon with our coverage of Fighting Spirit Unleashed. 
Uh, we'll also cover that classic match between Nagata and Tanahashi, uh, and we'll have more stuff, uh, I'm sure, on the horizon, including dropping those interviews with Mark James. Uh, we've also got our interviews with ACH and Eddie Kingston, uh, some more stuff that we've got from StarCast also sitting in the bank, and some more exciting things coming up as well. Um, and I will, in a few short weeks, be at the uh, Shimmer Wrestling tapings, uh, so Screw I'll probably you. pull out some interviews. Uh, you <laughs> some know what, now I'm going to go to that Northeast Wrestling show just to throw it in your face. Like, oh, oh, go to Shimmer, I'm going to go watch Kenny and Phoenix, no big deal. Do it. Please I'm, do I'm it. Gonna, I think I'm going to. All right, so. man. Well, hey, good talking to you. Yeah, and uh, expect our next episode to be in a more timely fashion. Yeah, it. I would imagine that we'll, we'll probably drop it next Monday. Uh, I mean, right after Fighting Spirit Unleashed. Yeah, so hopefully. Yeah, because like we'll just we'll just like cover that. that card. We're I think I think one of the things that we hope to do is to you know to keep things a little bit more compact in the future, so it, it's easier on us, it's easier on our listeners, and um, we can try to cover more things more often as opposed to a lot of stuff at once. Um, you know, we'll we'll do fewer things more often, uh, is what I meant to say. Yeah. So. So, yeah, so uh, as the Hales play us out, have a wonderful, wonderful week. Enjoy Fighting Spirit Unleashed. Hit us up on the Twitter at KOPW72. And uh, also remember we've got the YouTube page going now, the Instagram, so give us the follows there. There's very little content at this time, but there's more on the way, uh, and we will definitely be talking to you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.